loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Diana Cooperschmidt. Diana holds a Master's of Social Work degree and works for the Department of Health in the Early Intervention Program, a federal entitlement program servicing children birth to three with developmental delays and disabilities. She's published online in the Huffington Post, Manifestation, Mother Magazine, Power of Moms, Motherwell Magazine, Still Standing Magazine, and Her View from Here, From Home. On the weekends, she indulges her creative passion, working as a portrait photographer specializing in newborn family, maternity, and event photography. She lives in New York City with her family, and today we'll be talking about her book, Emma's Laugh, and the changes her daughter Emma brought into her life. Welcome, Diana. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. And as I was saying to you before we went on air, your your book just moved me so deeply. And I'm I'm really happy to have you here to talk about it because uh, there were so many aspects where you could have skirted something and you didn't. Or you, you really yeah. dove into your experience with them in a way that um, was so moving to me. So thank you for, I know the kind of work it takes to be that honest. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks. I, I, I really couldn't have done it any other way. I, you know, it had to be said and um, yeah, it, it was um, took a little bit of bravery <laughs> on my end and a lot of working through it, but I'm glad that I was able to include it in her story because it's an important piece. And let's talk about that. Um, you know, you were quite young when Emma was born, 23. Yeah. 26, Can you share, 26. 26, yeah. sorry, mm-hmm, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, could you share with the listeners sort of what that experience mm. of her birth and all the things you went through in that first year, what that was like for you? Yeah, um, so we, we were young parents, I guess, by maybe uh, American standards, Um but, you know, I felt like leading up to Emma's birth, we, we had done everything. Well, I had done everything according to the script, right? I, uh, we were an immigrant family. Um, my, my parents brought me here when I was about nine years old. And so um, this was an opportunity for a better life in, you know, in a free country where we weren't persecuted based on, you know, our religion, et cetera. We came from Soviet Ukraine. And, um, and I had something to prove, right? I had to prove my, my, my right to be in this country, my, the opportunities that were given me. And so I was this, you know, child that always kind of reached for perfection, right? Everything had to be perfect and colored within the lines and, and got the, the education. I was the first in my family to get a college education and then a graduate degree, um, and then we married and, um, we were ready to start a family and, um, 
Uh, leading up to that, you know, as I, as I was writing the book after Emma passed, um, in my in the process of remembering the way I made my decisions, um, I realized that I was coming from I was making my decisions from a place of grief because prior to you know what I felt was my renaissance of like you know coming into this life that I had built uh, up to my uh, I had some unsettling experiences when my parents moved us from uh, the borough of uh, Queens to Staten Island and I was an adolescent and I felt very uprooted. And so that sort of sent me into a spiral of anxiety and, you know, insecurities and questioning myself. So leading up to, you know, leading up to Emma's birth, I felt like, okay, that time was behind me. I had navigated, you know, making new friends in a new high school. I was a new kid on the block. And I just felt like I paid my dues. So, you know, I'd now everything enough. will be perfect. Right. <laughs> right. right. I suffered enough. I paid my dues. I'm owed this, right? Healthy baby. You never... You never expect, you know, you, you plan, but, you know, the best laid plan. So we were healthy. We had no history of anything in our family. So when Emma was born and I saw immediately that she didn't look healthy and, and not even having ever, you know, seen a newborn, I, I knew something was wrong. She was small and floppy and like greenish and in, in color and she didn't cry and she had some dysmorphic features. And I immediately alerted the doctor to them in a way that I was very cognizant of being maternally correct. Like I didn't want to sound rejecting of this baby um, that I was holding, but you know, so, but I wanted to make sure that the doctor was seeing the same thing that I was. And so I turned to him and I said, you know, she doesn't look like my husband or me. That was my way of saying like, she looks a little funny. She looks a little strange. She, I don't, you know, I don't see a resemblance, even though I don't know, babies don't really look like anybody other than little old men. But um, my, my initial reaction was shock. Um, mm. Just so unexpected. I had a very healthy pregnancy. She was full term, but she was tiny. She was four pounds, 12 ounces. Um, and she just did not look well. So they whisked her away and they started doing testing. And then, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't need them to tell me that something was wrong. I knew. I also had a background working with, um, with special needs kids, with the autistic population and um, and I kind of knew a little bit about it, but I never expected it to be so close to home in terms mm. of my own child. That was, that was your professional life. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. That was, I was a social worker. That was my professional life and I'd worked with special needs population, but it, you know, it doesn't really, you never think it's going to happen to you and you're never really prepared. And then when it does happen to you, everything that you know, right, like goes out the window. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I was, I was thinking as I was reading, on the one hand, having that advanced experience would make you the perfect choice for Emma, right? Right. <laughs> but right. on the other hand, you knew how hard it was from, from navigating that with other people that would yes. make it especially difficult. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. So yes. I was putting myself in your shoes a little there. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's true. Uh, yes, I knew a little bit of what you know, I, what parents dealt with and their worries because I worked, you know, in that community. And so, yeah, of course, I mean, without knowing initially the extent of her disability or, or, you know, seeing anywhere near the future, into the future, I just, we were young. We didn't have, um, this was uncharted territory because I, we didn't have any friends that had had kids or had kids with disabilities. It was only after, you know, we had Emma that, one, you know, one, one friend had a Down syndrome baby, another one had a child that was diagnosed with autism. And then, but we were like the pioneers and we, and it's not a good place to be in because you feel utterly alone um, without a map, you know, and I did not deal well. I did not deal well. uh, Not to skip it over in any way, but um, you did um, place Emma for adoption, thinking that this family that you chose would actually be able to serve her needs better, yeah. which I which I could so understand. I one of my children is adopted, and that's kind of the the space that her birth mother was in, mm-hmm. of just knowing that she couldn't do as much for her child as as we could, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but. Um, but what a painful decision. And mm. then I would, I would love for you to share when Emma, Emma came, when you retrieved Emma or, mm-hmm. you know, brought her back. I'd love for you to share that piece of the book, because what an incredible uh, moment that most people do not have the opportunity for. Yeah, absolutely. It was very fortuitous. It just kind of spoke to the fact that, you know, I I took a detour, I made the wrong decision, and Emma found her way home, which is where she always belonged. So this is an excerpt of us retrieving Emma from the adoptive home after we found out that certain conditions um, under which we gave her up had changed. So we now had our rights back. Mm. Okay. So when the storm passed and I pondered life's vagaries, I realized with sober clarity that if not for the way all the events unfolded, we would not have had the gift of knowing, unlike most biological parents who gave up their children to forever wonder if they made a mistake, what life was like both with and without our child. We had given, we'd been given a rare chance to correct a grave mistake. We knew what life was like with and without Emma and we preferred the former. I gave a mental thanks to the adoption agency and to Moisha and Leah, as I realized that this was the real do-over I had asked for. As if on a rescue mission, we moved quickly. We arranged to meet with Moisha to collect our baby and bring her home. It did not surprise me that he did not fight us. Rather, I sensed relief in his voice when we called him to tell him our plans. I understand, absolutely, he said. We got into the car and drove. We made no arrangements, took nothing with us, not food, not clothing for Emma. We expected to have everything ready for us as we sent her with bags full of clothes. We also knew that they would have all her feeding equipment to return to us. I wondered if Emma would recognize me. I wondered how she changed and how much of the five-month-old we relinquished I would now recognize in her. To quiet my mind, I told myself that we were leaving empty-handed, but would be returning with the greatest gift, a second chance. I remembered reading someone's observation that life can be fair. It can give you second chances. 
We walked up the three steps to the door that Moisha held open for us and came in. Dora was close behind me. I fought the impulse to push past Moisha, run in, find Emma, and scoop her up in my arms. Competing with this impulse was the loud rapping of my heart in my head. Was it fear, anticipation of what was about to happen, or both that took me hostage? After we briefly exchanged niceties, Moisha led us to the playpen, where we found Emma lying on her back. I peered in. It had been almost six months since we last saw her, on the day that we gave her away. As I lowered my gaze upon her, I was startled. She was unrecognizable to me. So much so, I doubted that I would have been able to pick her out of a lineup of babies. The tiny 15-pounder I remembered had grown three times her size. Her wispy, sparse hair had transformed itself into a golden, thick halo of wrinklets. Her once gaunt and longish face had filled out into round, pinchable cheeks. Her fat little thighs were pulkis. I already imagined myself play-biting. I would later learn that the pudginess was the result of bloating caused by the steroids she was on to treat the combination of RSV and pneumonia. Time slowed down. Hi, my love. I missed you. I bent down over my pregnant belly, careful not to tip over and keenly aware as I placed my hands under Emma's arms to lift her. I was taking her exactly where she needed to be, into my embrace. She blinked her eyes widening, and then bestowed upon me what would be the first of her many gifts, a smile. There was so much I wanted to say to her, beginning with my vow to her that as long as I lived, I would work towards earning her forgiveness for my foolishness. But there was plenty of time for that. I leaned in and whispered quietly in her ear so the others could not hear, I will make it up to you. I'm so aware that in the long run with Emma, and, and I've heard other, um, other parents of disabled kids uh, talk about sort of living with pure love, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, so in the moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I can imagine it was, it was your need to forgive yourself more than maybe even Emma's need. Did you have to make anything up to her? It seemed like she was just there yeah. with you. <laughs> you know, well, oh, this is what's happening now. Right. <laughs> that I mean, was my fantasy. <laughs> right. I mean, she wasn't aware, but I did. I, you know, I, I had to make up for the fact that we lost some time uh, with her and she came back sicker than when we left her. Right. So she came back on oxygen because of all the hospitalizations and, I learned that the um, adoptive mother was unintentionally sort of giving, feeding her more milk by mouth than she was able to manage. And so she was aspirating and, and, and getting sick and so forth. And so she came back a, a little bit more complicated, you know, on oxygen with a pulse oximeter whenever she slept because she would desaturate. So I felt terrible about that because I felt like, you know, when we gave her up, she was more or less stable medically, even though she mm -hmm. had surgeries prior and would go on to have many more surgeries to correct various mm -hmm. things. But I, you know, those five months, like in the bigger scheme of things were a short period of time, but a lot of things happened. Sure, and, sure. 
Absolutely. And, and no, I don't want to, yeah. I don't, I don't want to speed through that because that's um, what exactly had, had happened is really important to your story together, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, so let's come back to that after a break. Sure. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America and to find Diana Cooperschmidt, you can go to www.dianacooperschmidt.com. Be back soon. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Diana Cooperschmidt about her daughter, Emma, and the book she wrote about her. And the, before the break, we were talking to what, to what happened in those five months when Emma was with um, what at the time you thought would be her adoptive family. And, um, you know, I was just thinking through the difference between the kinds of issues maybe kids with Down syndrome would have which there that's what was going on with their other kids mm-hmm. and might have been going on with Emma because not related conditions at all. Yeah. Um, and the fact that at the end of that, she left, mm-hmm. um, that must've been on the way that whole time. I can't imagine it wasn't. Um, so it, it made some kind of strange sense to me that things didn't go so well in that period of time. Is that how you think of it as well? You know, I, I mean, I can't, I, you know, I don't want to put words. I mean, I don't know why she did what she did. She abandoned the whole family. I think, um, I, you know, I don't think it was a personal thing with Emma. Yes, Emma was more right. involved, et cetera. But I think just this woman, um, 
maybe had some instability and she found that this was too much because she made decisions um, prior to adopting these children that were a little bit questionable and um, unorthodox, should we say, right? Right. And so, uh, you know, again, without pointing a finger, blaming, she needed what she, she did what she needed to do. And I'm great. At first, I did see that, but I was grateful for all of that taking place. Because as I said, had she not gone through her own transformation, you know, had we not had those five months of sort of space from Emma, we would not appreciate the fact that we were able to get her home and that we, 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 you know, we wouldn't have known that life was better with her. So I'm eternally grateful for her, you know, um, and I, you know, I, it couldn't have happened in a better way. I feel you know, the thing, the thing of it is that sort of speaks to the heart of this show about how experiences can transform us, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, if, we, if we engage with them, which in the end you did, yeah. and then the, in hindsight, I think gratitude is where at least I end up, mm-hmm. even though, you know, if I say I lived with the with the uh, life limiting illness of my spouse for a decade, right. um, people will go, "Oh God!" Right. But then, what I'm usually mm-hmm. saying is, "And I couldn't have learned everything I learned in that time if it hadn't been so long." Right. Right. I, there's mm-hmm. a way that I end up feeling grateful for the time, uh, yeah. even though there were so many hard things about it. So I resonate with that. That. Uh, in the end, um, all of those difficult things were redeemed by where you ended up. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's where the the grief and the gratitude kind of exists side by side or in the same space. Yeah. Side by side. Absolutely. Both always for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) both always. But then I was imagining you coming home and the kinds of needs yeah, that a child with um, anything close to what Emma had going on yeah. to be kind of catapulted into a very different world while pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was thinking, oh my god. <laughs> uh, but I guess also with high motivation to get things in place as as yeah. quickly as you could, huh? Yeah, yeah, it happened quickly. And it was, you know, she came home and then it was her, you know, Josh was born and it was like, we, I, we had instant twins, <laughs> you know, and I, it almost felt like. And, I, was, and they must have seemed, there must have been a crossover where they were in the same kind of developmental place at some point. And yeah. then your son kept yeah. going. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And he surpassed it, her skills. Yeah, there was a time where they were the same size and they were struggling to sit up, you know. Um, but then Joshua, you know, pretty quickly surpassed this. Sure. Because, you know, Emma never really fully developed. Well, she was non ambulatory and, and, um, It took her a minute to, you know, to get from point A to point B. She scooted on her bottom before that. She rolled, you know, like a log. She got around. But yeah, her her limitations were difficult for us to watch. But I don't think for her, you know, I think she was so proud of herself for every little achievement that um, she was she was able to uh, 
to manage that, you know, she, she didn't feel sorry for herself. You know, she no, was like, <laughs> that was very clear. I watched her, I watched the video you made of her oh, when she oh, turned 18. Yeah. And I was like, what a beautiful <laughs> presence, you know, yeah. just, yeah. okay, I'll do this. I'll, do that. <laughs> I'll humor mom. I'll humor mom. Oh, okay, go my ahead and ask me for another, <laughs> another trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very beautiful. Yeah, aw, I appreciated that too. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, I, I think a lot about the impact on my children of, of living with someone who was perpetually dying for so long. Yeah. And um, I, I really see how that has impacted who they are, yeah. mostly positively, some negatively, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered what it might have been like how you see that experience showing itself with your your two other children um, growing up with with Emma, do you see it in the way they relate to their lives at all? I mean, I do see that it made them very compassionate um, individuals, and and now that they're both in their twenties. You know, I see the choices that they make and I, and I, and I see their, their value system. It's intact. They're very much like socially minded, they're marchers, they're advocates, they're, you know, and, and I wonder if it, it may have been the same if had they not grown up alongside Emma, but they did. And they witnessed a lot of things and they, they had comparisons, you know, to make, I, you know, um, so I, I know, I know in my heart that, um, it made them more compassionate, caring human beings than maybe they would have otherwise been. Mm -hmm. um, if that answers your question, it does, and it yeah. and it um, resonates with what I notice about my own kids that yeah. that they want to show up when yeah. when yeah. their friends are having a rough time. They're yeah. often the ones that are called. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And, yes. Mm -hmm. and they really want to show up in a good way. Yeah. Um, I, I now get called for advice sometimes about right. how to show up in a good way. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're good um, listeners and they do like good to listeners advice. Right, right. My daughter and, does. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe not as adverse to the experience of difficulty. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, mm -hmm. it's just part of living and, you know, yeah. maybe a certain amount of focus on um, living now because it's not guaranteed. Right. That, that seems to show itself. Yeah. I think that and also they're much more in tune and sensitive to those that are disenfranchised, you know? Mm, yes. Much yeah. more so, much more so. Um, and so they're big advocates of, 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 of that population of people, you know, um, they're very outspoken. And, and I think it has to do with the fact that, you know, they saw us battling for ramps in our building and the right nursing care and all of the, like, they were witness to that. And I think that made them understand like you, how important your voice is and how important it is that if you have that privilege and if you have that platform and if you have those means that you, you have to use them and you have to use them in the right way and to help others. So I think that. 
that really, really makes yeah. a lot of sense to me too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about this sort of bottom line I have on successful parenting that each mm -hmm. child turns into themselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> oh know. my gosh. So true. <laughs> We've been having a lot of conversations with the, and my husband and I have a, a 21 year old who uh -huh. is a very strong personality and my husband, oh, and I'm a strong personality and my daughter takes after me. And my husband always says, you know, our kids don't belong to us. They don't belong to you. And I'm like, what do you mean? You no, know, but you can, <laughs> you can, you can help or not, I guess. But I, I'd love yeah. for you to, to, to share that part of the book that sort of speaks to that because yeah. um, mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about it in terms of the lessons we learn from our kids, mm -hmm. which I resonate with as a, as a mother, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's also who they've become that is fully them. Yes, uh, that's that's what teaches us, isn't it? So would yes. you share that part of the book? Absolutely. Every child changes you in different ways, wrote Lawrence later in her memoir, Playing House, Notes of a Reluctant Mother. Hannah was my artistic muse. She manifested my dreams of performing to an audience whose approval and praise I inherently sought ever since my grandmother, Manya, took me around to sing and collect sweets that would be responsible for my teeth decayed smile. I lived vicariously through my youngest child, collecting accolades as if they were my own, because they were a product of my relentless encouragement to nurture her natural talents. Joshua was my sweet boy, tender of temperament, generous of his love and unconditional acceptance of me, even as I struggled to rein in my perfectionist tendencies. He was smart, witty, funny, and perpetually happy with confidence that I could only recall nostalgically before it shattered in adolescence. Emma was the fulcrum upon which I teetered. She was my perfectly imperfect child, my teacher, my sage, and I loved her more for it. She elevated to the surface my worst fears and perceived flaws and shed light on them so that they no longer had the power to possess me, to threaten my existence. By casting the focus on her care and well-being, Emma relieved me of the burden of self-obsession to be perfect and lead a perfect life. I was less a prisoner to others' judgment and no longer succumbed to the anxieties that so mercilessly plagued my psyche in years past. It was as if by taking on my pain, she freed me of my existential wounds, just as I had wanted to do for her all those times she hurt. From Emma, I learned there is beauty in the unspoken words, in the actions of implied determination, in all the ways that she had communicated her wants and needs, the unconditional love her uncooperative body housed, which I had first seen as not whole and now saw for what it was, a concerto of desires, a lightness of being I could only dream of, an existence dictated by a connection that surpassed body and spoken language, that surpassed all that limited her. She was freer than I would ever be, free from judgment, free from psychic pain, free from all the suffering I imposed on myself in a world of rules, conditions, and expectations. Emma helped me navigate the tangled pathways of my heart and rearranged it. From her, I learned that sometimes you find beauty where you least expect it. In her, I found beauty and wisdom and grace. This little girl who in my youthful ignorance I believed was broken had healed me because it was me that was broken all along. She was always the whole matryoshka at the center of the nesting dolls. My mission, 
once I chose to accept it, was to move through the extra layers of myself, through the other matryoshkas nested in different versions of myself to get to the heart, the soul, the epicenter of everything that was perfect and forgiving and whole about me. And that was Emma. She lingered patiently until I found her, found myself. There's nothing like complete unconditional love to invite you into that kind of love for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how I, what I felt when I read that part of the book, that, mm. that it's, it's hard to justify um, the kind of, you know, ripping self-judgment some of us experience mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the face of, of that kind of love, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> you can't be unkind to yourself when somebody's being kind to you, I feel like. You know, you learn you, by the you example. Have to, of, yeah. You have to at least, it's a big stretch. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You, you know it's you. Yeah. At that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. kind of navigating those two worlds, the one world in, in which you're trying to make everything come out right and, you yeah. know, do the right mm-hmm. thing. You know? yeah. And this other world of just pure presence and yeah. mutual love. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to keep those both going at the same time, I find. Yes, yes. And, you know, in the midst of it, you don't even realize you're doing it, right? I mean, these are all things that came to me in reflection in the writing of the book that I was living, I was straddling these two universes, right? The, you know, the special Mm -hmm. needs and my typically developing kids. And it almost like the two, I was perfectly fine, you know, um, living this bipolar existence, essentially, (laughs) right? And I didn't see it. It was perfectly okay to make the demands and expectations on my healthy kids, you know, the requisite instrument and the sport and, you know, the the good schools and the colleges. And for Emma, there was nothing, those expectations didn't exist because as far as I could see it, she was a whole the way she was, right? She was perfect in her existence the way she was. And And those things were out of the question. Right, 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 right. But because her potential was different, right? My kids had this level of potential. Emma had this one. She didn't have so much agency of her thoughts and her actions and so forth. But the truth is that she was, you know, I was living in the, you know, University of Emma. She was teaching me Mm. that all of those things were not important. Mm. They were so not important. And it took away a little bit from my, you know, it, it, strained my relationship with my healthy kids yes because they you know years later they would tell me it was it was a a lot a lot was expected of them and um you know it wasn't the best way sort of of being so it caused some stress well they had a point of comparison they saw your capacity to be just (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about that a little more when we come back okay (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com or the Good Grief host page to find me in any way you like to look for people. And to find Diana Cooperschmidt, you can go to dianacooperschmidt.com and it's K-U-P-E-R-S-H-M-I-T.com. Back after the break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, again, and I've been talking with Diana Cooperschmidt about her daughter, Emma, and her book, Emma's Laugh. And before the break, Diana, we were talking about, um, I guess the way I would put it is um, the balance between expecting things of our kids and, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to help them reach their potentials Mm -hmm. and the ability to be just present with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that, that kind of space, I'm watching my daughter with her three children trying to strike that balance and boy, it's exhausting to watch. I have to say, (laughs) (laughs) and it's, uh, it's, uh, there's no, there's no easy answer to that. Um, but then I'm thinking of your kids kind of watching this, um, relationship with Emma of, a pretty pure, lots of work to do to support her, mm-hmm. but a pretty pure presence emotionally, you know, mm-hmm. and and maybe not so much expectation, heavy mm-hmm. on the being with side, yes? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yes, heavy on the being with and, 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 and expecting less or expecting different things, I should say. And it's interesting because, yeah, my, my kids did see a different version of me, maybe a more accepting, a, a more uh, patient <laughs> version <laughs> with Emma. Because with Emma, the truth is, you know, it was enough just to be with her and sing to her and clap with her. And, you know, it, it was so simple. I mean, the, it, you know, she had like this sort of meditative state about her. She was always very Zen. She was always in the moment, whether she was, you know, flipping through her magazines, chewing on her bib or watching her musicals. I mean, she was perfectly content. And you have the sense of peace just watching her in her element, you know? And then and then I would turn to my healthy kids and I would be like, you know, homework and fencing. And did you practice violin? <laughs> and how did you do on the test? And how did the other kids in the class do? <laughs> and it was just like, I, I, I must have been like a horror. I, I mean, I think back now and I'm apologizing to them and they're like, listen, it's okay. It was what it was, right? You do the best that you can when you're in the moment. One th- uh, yes, one thing that did stand out in the book a lot, uh, which I talk about pretty frequently, but not not everyone does, is the way that lessons build on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way in which one one 
learning from a loss leads to another learning the next time and another one and another one. And mm. I feel that's part of that, that looking back, um, mm. you're still learning things yeah. from what happened in your family and how you all responded to it. And, you know, everyone is still here mm. <laughs> and mm. your kids feel safe to say, you know, maybe you could have done a little more of the sitting around with us and clapping hands or whatever it is. (laughs) But, um, but I get the the sense that you're quite a connected family. Yeah. uh, Currently in, in today and you've Mm -hmm. all learned things. Yes. Yes. We try, we try to, I mean, it's, it's work, right. Especially when you're now dealing with adult children, it's a different kind of dynamic, right. Absolutely. Um, they approach you differently. You know, they have more to say. They, you know, yeah, you're not so much an authority anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> they know better. You've, you've gone from manager to consultant, as exactly. parents do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the tables have turned a little bit, I feel like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We're being taught. We're being taught a lot, especially by my daughter, who is brilliant and knows everything, and we know nothing, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one like that who's now 28. So you remind me of her at 21. (laughs) It's a different thing at 28. I, uh, she, she recognizes that I know a few things. (laughs) At least least in my subject area. (laughs) No other. (laughs) And, and speaking of my subject area, of course, until, um, it happened, you were not imagining, you were planning for a life in which maybe your kids would end up having to mm. take care of Emma because yeah. you wouldn't live forever. And, right. um, you know, into that came the terrible loss of her. Yeah. And um, I felt that at the point that she died, you had really uh, you were accepting life on life's terms. It, it felt to me as if you were no longer thinking ahead to after this, I'll do this and that and the other, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that you were very present with the life you were living. And, and in that way, it must have come as such a, such a shock um, yeah. to, yeah. to have her not continue to um, just plug along. Yes. Yeah. Well, our change, uh, our plans for her had changed, I think, for a long time. You know, I, I looked forward to being an empty nester. You know, I envisioned, you know, Josh and Hannah were going to finish college and, and get jobs and move on. And then, you know, we would perhaps find, you know, a home for Emma nearby. And, and then at some point, I think in her adolescence, when I came very close to almost losing her in a car accident, I realized that I could never physically be separate from her. And so my life was going to, you know, exist with her. And she was always going to be with us because we could never trust anybody. And because that just seemed like that, you know, I, I think at that point, I finally truly accepted her. And I think you can only love somebody when you fully accept them. So when she passed, I had already reconciled in my head before she passed, I reconciled that she was always going to be with us, that I was never going to give her up. I was never going to make that mistake again. And that's when she left. Hmm. And I don't think it's a coincidence either. You know, I do think that life's experiences are training wheels for us, right? For what 
where, how we need to show up when we need to show up, right? I didn't choose to be an accountant or a computer programmer. I was a social worker, yes. you know, um, and I had experiencing uh, raising, you know, another child. My sister was a few, uh, 14 years, my junior. And so I had experienced parenting. And I, so that those were training wheels for when Emma came along. So, um, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't think there are any coincidences. Also, because I've connected with her on, like on a spiritual level after she passed. So now I look for signs everywhere. And I know that those synchronicities mean something or at least for me, they do. Well, this would be a perfect moment for you to share that part of your book from after uh, Emma died. Okay. I think it speaks to some of that. Yeah, okay. Life after Emma presented as an alternate universe. The world became before Emma and after Emma. I did not know how to navigate it without the quotidian worrying about nurse coverage, school bus, feeding supply delivery, seizure medication refills. I saw Emma in every corner of the house, scooting on her bottom down the sunken living room steps, sitting in her room watching hairspray. I continued to wake at night to listen for the sounds of her tossing around from the discomfort of a soiled diaper. I even considered moving, but that wasn't the answer I knew. Waves of sorrow overwhelmed me and left me in a pool of tears. And after I was spent, I would see the image in her mind's, in my mind's eye of Emma reaching over and gently slapping me like she did when I fake cried. Grief forces us to remember, and I never wanted to forget. I opened myself up further to spirituality. I turned to titles like Do Dead People See You Shower and others that spoke about the soul and what happens after death. I began talking to Emma in my head, looking for signs, for proof however anecdotal, that this was not the end for us, that there had to be more. I recognized that I did not have the luxury of capitulating to my grief. We still had two children to finish raising. Josh was accepted to McGill University in Canada, and it would only be a short three years before Hannah would leave for college. I would have what I thought I always wanted, an empty nest. But sequestering within the walls of the apartment proved agonizing, so I returned to work prematurely. My coworkers looked at me with surprise to see me back so soon. Of course, physically I was present, but in my head, but my head was in the past and my eyes became wet in each meeting in which a child's medical concerns remotely resembled Emma's. I was a mess. The first day after returning to work and was particularly annihilating. What am I doing here? I thought I did not know where else to be. As I walked into the lobby of my building at day's end, something took hold and I mentally said this, Emma, let me know you're okay. Just let me know. I need to know. Two minutes later, after entering the apartment, I found a package from Emma's school. Immediately, I assumed it was the extra change of clothes we'd sent in for her to change a chewed on shirt or soiled pants. With heavy hands, I ripped the package open to find Emma's face staring at me. She was in a beautiful, large, gold-trimmed picture frame, and in it, her mouth was poised for a kiss, the kiss that she blew by putting her lips together and affecting a loud popping sound. I lowered to the floor, pressing my lips to the glass, and sobbed. Emma had sent me a sign, and in that moment, I could hear her, her breathy, quiet laugh, 
and I felt something close to elation. Oh, I know those moments so personally. Those yeah. moments when you just feel connected. Yeah. And um, I just really don't care what the actual facts are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just really don't care about yeah. it. That It's such a visceral and deep experience, isn't mm-hmm. it? And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a grief counselor. Mm-hmm. So I've heard... Everybody yeah. who loses someone has their things that right. are just undeniably those moments. Right. Um, and I know them for some of my friends too. And yeah. all they have to do is say, oh, look at that blank. Right. And I right. know that they're with so-and-so, right? Yes. <laughs> um, it's just so um, universal almost yeah. if in people that are listening for that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that my profession did not do anyone any favors by inventing the concept of closure. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, um, uh, you know, it, when you feel it, you know it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, I'm so grateful for that experience, that being able to connect, because my, my husband is, is, is one of the other, you know, the other kind, the, the, the one that's like the, uh, you know, staunch scientist. And if he can't prove it, it doesn't exist, et cetera. And so, you know, we, we, we butt heads sometimes on the subject, but, you know, ultimately had I not connected when I went to see a medium and had I not had my own personal experiences because I was open to them, you know, I wouldn't have written the book. Mm-hmm. I would have just believed that, you know, this is the end of the story. And the truth and the, is, and the help that book is offering to yeah, so yeah. many, so many people, I know it is, I would not so. be possible, would it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was healing for me. I started, as I said, writing for selfish reasons, but now I feel like it's morphed into something bigger and that it's reaching and resonating with others. And I'm getting such nice feedback from the readers. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that I've learned from work, because everybody has different value systems, don't they? Yes. But even a scientific person, you can say, you know, you still have a relationship with that person in your head. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about death that ends the relationship. It ends the body. Right. And so sometimes people can relate to it that way if they don't actually think there's a presence somewhere Mm -hmm. in, you know, some larger universe Mm -hmm. to me that's pretty undeniable that Mm -hmm. that everyone i've ever met i've i've met people who are apologetic or think they're weird that they still talk to the person or you know Mm -hmm. all of that but i haven't really met too many people who don't have that happen yeah 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 they're in their heads and they're in their hearts right absolutely absolutely (laughs) Well, Diana, I could talk with you for many, many more hours, but our hour is up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Cheryl. It was really, really lovely. Oh, good. And listeners, please go read the book. It's wonderful. Diana Cooper Schmidt at dianacooperschmidt.com. And of course, everywhere books are sold. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. 